In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Endris and Hauser a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation, Endress and Hauser, the people for process automation. We're going to begin today's podcast with a little brain teaser. See if everyone's awake and if you're really listening. So here it is. What belongs only to you, yet everyone else uses it more than you do? What belongs only to you, yet everyone else uses it more than you do? We'll answer this at the end of the podcast. This is the HSE podcast dedicated to everyone coming home safely. And so in that vein today, our guest on the show is Alan Bernard. He's the Senior Vice President of Gyro Data Incorporated. And today we're going to be discussing how their uncrewed gyro while drilling operations significantly reduces HSE risk. Alan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much, Russell. Thank you for this opportunity. Oh, we're glad to have you on here. I'm excited to hear about any type of drilling operations that helps reduce HSE risk because it's dangerous out there on those rigs. So, Alan, where is GyroData? Where are they headquartered? I'm based in Houston and our HQ is based in Northwest Houston as well. So GyroData is a global company. It's present in 48 countries around the world. Basically everywhere there's an oil and gas play. Somewhere in the world, you'll see a gyrodata person uh, in that location as well. Wow. So it sounds like some fly-by-night company, huh? Yeah, you could say so. But <laughs> <laughs> We don't have fly-by-night companies on this show. We deal with a lot of companies like Gyrodata, and we're happy to do that. Although, Alan, I, I've got to say, you say you're in Houston. You sound like a native Texan. I am indeed. I've got the RV, I've got the pickup truck, I've got the ammunition and the gun. So I'm <laughs> born and bred Texan nowadays. So no, I'm, obviously I was born in the UK. I've, most of you can probably tell from my Scottish accent, even though I've lived most of my life internationally. But I may not be a Texan by birth, but I'm very much a Texan by my behavior nowadays. Well, especially if you got the guns and the ammunition, you know, that's the most important part. Well, as they say, when you're in Rome, act like a Roman. So I'm in Texas acting like a Texan. So that's... Uh, it's a wonderful state, and it's a great place to work. So in this current economic climate and this ongoing pandemic that we're dealing with, it's interesting that you're focusing on unmanned, what they call GWD right now. Yes, uh, this is not something we've suddenly created since the start of the pandemic. The pandemic's accelerating it, and the reasons for that is it's sometimes very difficult to get crews to rig sites, especially in international environments where you can no longer fly to certain countries. There's travel bans. As I've mentioned before, we're in 48 countries. A lot of the work we do is where an engineer will be based, like, for example, in Malaysia. But he'll travel all throughout Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific in general to work on the rigs. So when you're unable to get to the rig sites, then it sort of accelerates the uncrewed operation. So we took the uncrewed from NASA. It was the uncrewed missions. It really basically means that we're removing the personnel from the rig site into a remote monitoring center where we're now shifting people from offshore to onshore. And that, as you can imagine, inherently reduces the risk involved. You don't have the transportation from your home to the check-in, whether it's a crew boat or a helicopter or even driving to the rig site. You're no longer on the rig, so you don't have the risk of being on a, a what is relatively a dangerous environment. 
So uncrewed brings a lot of advantages, especially especially now today in this pandemic era. Okay, so Alan, you you eliminate the personnel mobilization aspect, and as you mentioned, there are a lot of benefits to that. But how do you do that? I mean, they're not on the, they're not on the rig. How do you interface with that? Yeah, that's a very good question, Russell. Let me backtrack to two, three years ago. We were developing a new technology, and it's, if you look on our website, it's called Spear Technology. It's based on a solid-state gyro sensors. In the past, gyros were always a spinning mass, mechanical spinning mass. And then in the last two, three years, we've really spent a lot of time and effort developing a solid-state system, and it's powered by Spear Technology. So what that Spear Technology now allows us to do is to load our gyro hole drilling systems into a drilling collar onshore. And that's hugely beneficial because now we're in a controlled environment onshore where we don't have either high heat of the summers of the Middle East or the extreme colds of the Northern Americas in winter times. We don't have the wind, we don't have the rain, etc. So inserting tools into drilling collars on the rig site is relatively high risk especially if you're in extremes of temperature. So in-color loadout in town in a controlled, either air-conditioned environment or heated environment allows you to control the situation and reduce the hazards. And then by having the tool in the collar and shipped to the rig site, you're reducing any manual handling on the rig site. All you're doing then is picking up that drilling collar and then running it into the well. So the technology has allowed us to do that because of several things. One of them is like the reduction in power consumption. The tool's powered by batteries and legacy equipment based on the spinning mass would very, very quickly deplete the batteries because it was power hungry. So with the new technology, it allows us not only to load the collar out in the beach or in town and then send it to the rig site, but also allows us to move away from environmentally unfriendly lithium battery packs to alkaline battery packs. And for Gyrodata, that's huge. We're, as I mentioned before, we're in 48 countries around the world exporting lithium battery packs to those countries, taking them to a recycling center, disposing of them is, is a major hazard for gyrodata and risk for gyrodata. So by having this new technology, it's not only the uncrewed operations of reducing the risk at the rig site, um, reducing the risk through less frequent travel by helicopter, boat, or vehicles. And as you know, and your audience knows, your number one risk is always going to be uh, vehicles and either a, a wreck or something similar going to your work or going to a job site. So and then color loadout, as I mentioned before, also reduces the risk because there's less manual handling on the rig side. And then the lithium battery packs from the um, environmental side, that's huge for us to shift away from dangerous goods back to less dangerous goods, which would be alkaline battery packs. So you actually, that's where your power comes from. It doesn't come from a generator on the rig or something like that. You're actually using your own independent battery packs? It's completely independent. So you'd have a, a battery, a power source within the uh, collar with the gyro instrumentation as part of the MWD package, and it's self-contained. It's self-powered. Okay, so you don't have someone on the rig who's you know, monitoring this drilling process. So where are they and how are they doing that? Let me explain there. Uh, it probably wasn't clear before. So when we ship the collar to the rig site, it's it's already checked. We've done all the outward systems tests, et cetera, and the, the, the tool is within a self-contained collar. Um, that collar will be picked up on the rig site by the drilling crew and then built in, well, inserted into the BHA, the bottom hole assembly, uh, the drilling assembly, and then deployed. Typically, we're working for one of the larger OFS drilling companies where we're subcontracted to them and they're, they'll be on the rig site, but they don't per se need to handle the collar. They'll just pick it up and insert it into the BHA. 
And then after that, with the digital transformation that's going on in our industry just now and the remote monitoring, which has been accelerated by this pandemic, we're now able to be in an onshore environment in a remote monitoring center as if we're sitting in a doghouse on a rig site. There's virtually no difference apart from instead of being in a 20-foot container on a rig site, you're now in a, an air-conditioned, lovely office somewhere in town. So the job now is run remotely, and there's connections and software systems to speak to the rig and the telemetry on the rig site. Okay, well, that was, I guess, my next question. So, so when you say they speak to the rig, exactly how does that happen? Well, there's software packages that we have where there's systems on the rig site, which are obviously digital, and then it goes into a database. And then from that database, we have access to it. So really what we're seeing live is all the analytics from the rig, what depth are they at, what's the pressures, what's the temperatures, et cetera. And then we can see that live on our screen. So that data is fed into a database, which we can then pull from. Our, the data from our own tool is also transmitted, so we can see that over the wires, basically over the connection to the rig site. And that connection could be like a fiber optic link in Norway from the Equinor rigs back to Stavanger. It could be a satellite link offshore Gulf of Mexico. It could be a, a 4G or 5G link to a rig on land in the U.S. All we really need is an internet connection, and then one software package is speaking to another software package. Then how do you communicate with the actual personnel who are on the rig? There's amazing software out there, Zoom, you've got chat facilities, you've got Microsoft Teams. A lot of the time, some of the software packages have a built-in audio or chat facility. So most of our clients, the larger operators in the world, the NOCs and the IOCs, they're trying to demand at the rig site to reduce risk and cost. So it's not only our company that's doing this, there's our clients as well, and the people that contract us are removing people from the rig site. So it's going to end up in a situation where the people at the rig site are really mechanically picking the tools up, assembling them, then running them down the hole. The decision process and the management of the job has now been done remotely. That's the future. That's what I see as a future for the drilling and oil and gas is where we're now all the decision making and data analysis has been done onshore. Okay, so for us neophytes and those of us who are technologically challenged, why do you call it gyro data? Well, our, our technology is based on gyros. So gyroscopes have very unique physical properties, rigidity and precession. I don't want to, I need to visualize that for your audience so they can understand it. But um, gyroscopes can work in environments where magnetometers cannot. So magnetometers measure the Earth's magnetic field. Where gyroscopes, the one we use, one method of measuring is the Earth's rotation. So we can't feel the Earth's rotation. It's a minute value. It's 15 degrees per hour at the equator, but it's also the Earth revolving around the sun, which is another 0.041 degrees per hour. So at the equator, a gyro is measuring a 15.04 degrees per hour uh, torque vector. And then using the accelerometers on the high side, it can then calculate out the azimuth, the direction for the gyro. And and that's why gyros are always more accurate than, typically more accurate than magnetics, because magnetics based on a value, it keeps on changing. Now, the value can change from casing. So if you've got casing, uh, downhole casing nearby you, it's going to be magnetized. So now your magnetometer, which is normally used in your MWD tools, can no longer measure because the signal's been interfered with by the casing. Now, the same could also be true through magnetic rocks, changes in solar activity on the sun that then cause changes in the magnetic north pole location. So the gyro tools, and this is where Gyro 40 years ago was created. It was created to 
improve the accuracy of while drilling the wells or after the well's been drilled because the magnetic is a it's good enough for drilling, but it's not really good enough for anti-collision and for wellbore placement. So the gyro was developed to provide a far more accurate wellbore placement for the oil wells under the ground. And that, that's huge implications from an HSE perspective. We're all aware of the blowouts that go on in our industry occasionally, which have massive environmental impact. They've got massive human life impact as well. So, right. so for what gyros do, they're used a lot in surface hole locations where you're trying to drill a well away from a platform. And the platform could have dozens of wells on that platform that are producing. So if you drill with a magnetic instrument, well, one, you can't because uh, it's interfered with by the casing. There's magnetic interference. So you run a gyroscope because it can measure in that magnetically interfered environment. And then you'll thread your way through the wells. So accuracy is critical for anti-collision. If you make a mistake there or use a tool which isn't very accurate, you can drill into another well at surface, and then you're very quickly going to have a blowout. If you place a well deeper down into the reservoir that then intersects with another well that's already previously drilled, you'll also have an underground blowout or a blowout on surface. So gyros improve the wellbore placement real-time and, and post-drilling, and that, I mean, dramatically reduces your risk from uh, blowouts. I mean, massively reduces the risk. Well, that actually makes me feel better. You said you almost need to visualize some of this. I'm assuming maybe you have some of this on your website? We do. There's some. The theories of gyroscopes are you go into YouTube and you Google gyroscopes. It'll explain what rigidity and precession is. And gyros are used in so many devices nowadays, from your iPhones to scooters to these hoverboards, etc. Now, they're an order of, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times less accurate than the tools that are deployed in oil and gas wells, but it gives you a, an understanding of how they could be used in human life. So one of the principles of gyroscopes is, I need to send you a video to, to show you this, but it's called rigidity, where it tries to remain in its position. And that's one of the, some of these boards that you see, you know, these scooter boards, I don't know if there are a lot of them in Texas just now, but people will be riding on a scooter board and it'll be balanced using a gyro. So oh, wow. So you can go, go to YouTube, ask your audience, go to YouTube, uh, Google a gyroscope, the principles of a gyroscope and how it works, and they'll understand what precession and rigidity is. It's not simple, Russell. My apologies. I can't really explain it in simplistic terms. <laughs> well, it's not so much all of us understanding it as to understand the implications of what it does do for safety purposes and environmental purposes as well. Well, Alan, we really appreciate you coming onto the show. We're always interested in finding out about how the oil and gas industry is moving more toward safety and protection of the environment. We need to do a better job of getting that out to the public because I think we get a, a bad rap on that, which in all honesty, 50, 60 years ago, that may have been true, but but we've really come a long way and technology like this has really come a long way. You got anything else you want to add? Yes. Thanks, Russell. I'd just like to explain to the audience some of the acronyms we've I've used earlier in the podcast. For me, I use these acronyms every day, so it's obvious to me, but I realize it's potentially not obvious to other people. So if you go back to the 1980s, wells were drilled using a wireline tool that had a survey device at the end of it, and it's called a steering tool. And then what the drillers did is they would steer for a certain section with the wireline in the hole and the survey device at the end of it. And then once they finished, they'd have to pull the wireline and cable out of hole. 
and it was very slow. It wasn't very accurate. But the wells that were drilled then weren't horizontal. They were S-shaped wells or low-angle wells. And then in the 1980s, there was something called MWD was invented, and that stands for Measurement While Drilling. So now you had a device that was in the bottom hole assembly, which then the drill string and the drilling environment. And what it was doing is it was able to send surveys up to surface while drilling. That's why it's called a while drilling system. And those pulses were sent up through, it's like a mud pulse, and it was decoded at surface. It was like pressure pulses that would go up on a frequency modulation. And that's what we refer to as MWD and it's measurement while drilling, but some people think of it as magnetic based tools while drilling and sometimes incorrectly use magnetic while drilling, which is not true. Yeah. So those tools are based on magnetometers that measure the Earth's magnetic field and they're affected by a casing and other errors, et cetera, as I explained before in the podcast. So what, what GWD is, is gyro hole drilling. So it's a very similar technology, but instead of using magnetometers, it's now gyroscopes. So we either aid the magnetic system downhole or we replace it, where now it's gyro measurements, and that's been transmitted while drilling back up to surface. And as I mentioned before, that the gyros are not affected by magnetic interference, so can be used in areas and top hole to reduce the anti-collision risk and uh, prevent any risk of blowing. And that takes the place of GPS? Well, thankfully, GPS doesn't work underground. Otherwise, I would never have joined this company 32 years ago. We'd be out of business. So GPS is signals from satellites. It's a continuous signal coming from multiple satellites in space. And then you triangulate or take that measurement to find out your position on Earth, either in your car or your phone, etc., Unfortunately or unfortunately, GPS signals cannot go beneath the Earth. The signal stops at Earth and then it can't transmit through that. So we require gyroscopes, our national navigation systems or devices that allow us to survey in the oil wells where they cannot get the GPS signal. And that's like going back to the 1950s, 60s, 70s, before GPS was invented. How did these planes go from one end of the world to the other end of the world? They did that yeah, using surveying devices, including gyroscopes. So we've adapted that physical technology and adapted it for oil and gas use below ground. That's very interesting and very informative. And we really thank you for taking the time to come on and explain all that to us. We'll put the website address in the show notes. We'll also put in your LinkedIn URL in case somebody wants to contact you and get more information because you guys certainly sound like you're the leader in this GWD. Yes, thanks very much, Russell. Hopefully it wasn't too technical for your audience. All right. Thank you again. Thanks, everyone, again for tuning in. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. And check out our other OGGN podcasts. You can just Google OGGN podcasts. Oh, yes, the answer to our brain teaser today. What belongs only to you, yet everyone else uses it more than you do? Why, your name, of course. And speaking of your name, go to cx.endris.com forward slash HSE dash podcast, where you can give us your name and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. And if you didn't get that, we'll put it in the show notes along with where you can follow us on our LinkedIn address at Endress and Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endress underscore US. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. See you next time. This is Savannah and here are the events on deck for September 2020. 
there's the FPSO World Congress 2020, and that's on September 1st to the 4th, and also the 8th, and it's all online. The next one is Building the Future Industrial Summit on September the 16th, and that's also online. There's also the 4th Annual Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference 2020, and that's on September the 16th to the 18th. Then there's the Engenius Symposium and Exhibition for Upstream Innovation 2020, and that's September the 22nd to the 24th. And there's also Effective Leadership Through Change and Uncertainty featuring Condoleezza Rice, and that's on September the 24th. There's also NAEP Summer 2020 from August 11th to September the 14th. And lastly, there's BP Week 2020, September 14th to 16th. That's all for September. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.